Hear the Gospel of our Saviour Christ according to St. Luke, chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. Glory to you, o Lord Jesus Christ. He was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive others who sin against us, and do not bring us to the time of trial. And he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, Do not bother me, the door has already been locked, and my children are up with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Please take a seat. And let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your presence with us this evening, and we ask as we reflect on your word that you will speak to us through your spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, we've been engaging uh, with Lent over the last few weeks, and tonight I thought we would focus especially on the theme of prayer, which is the activity which is at the very heart of Lent. And the presumption of the talk, and it's a bit cheeky, but the presumption is you might actually be struggling in prayer. And uh, you might be finding it hard to, to really enter the depths of that activity. And I want to uh, give some advice about how we may overcome the internal obstacles which block or hinder our prayer. So that's basically what this talk is about. Now, I've got some good news for you and some bad news. The bad news is that I'm going to ask you some very direct questions about your prayer life, uh, which are to do with helping us engage with Lent. And the good news is I won't be looking for a show of hands to get any of my questions. They're for your own private reflection. Now the first question is, is a very fundamental one. Does prayer work for you? Um, I think there are a few telltale signs as to whether it does or not. For example, whether you do it or not. That's a, an absolute clue to whether it works. But if you do pray, do you find it fulfilling? Do you know it's worth? Do you need it? Is it your lifeline? And the answers to those questions uh, give you a much more profound idea of whether prayer is working for you or not, because if it isn't any of those things, it's not working. But the questions are wider than simply, does prayer work for you? Uh, for example, when we do pray, do we believe that God can intervene in situations and change situations? Or are we, as I, the phrase I used before was functional deists, do we see prayers having some kind of therapeutic effect on us, but, but it has no 
ability to affect anything outside of us? Uh, is God simply a bystander? Then there's the emotional states that we find ourselves in because of what might be happening in our prayer life. You know, that, that horrible sense that, that, that God isn't listening, that, that God isn't there. Can we sometimes feel like that? I don't mean not there in an absolute sense, I just mean he doesn't seem to be around. Um, can we sometimes feel abandoned? And what do we do if we find ourselves in that place of abandonment? Those are other questions to think about in terms of uh, our prayer life. And uh, what kind of God specifically are we praying to? Is he someone who can be affected by our prayers? Do our prayers change God's mind? Um, or are we playing a game which has already been settled and is just being played out? Or does God deliberately provoke us to pray about him changing his mind because he doesn't want to do the thing which he has given us the impression he's going to do, if that makes sense? And uh, what should we pray about? Are there biblical models for the, the, you know, the subject matter of our prayers? Are there unexplored realms that are waiting to be discovered? Is spiritual warfare a crackpot North American concept, or do we actually engage with demonic opposition when we speak to God about evil in his world? And how do we get beyond ourselves and our own needs when we pray? How do we lift ourselves out of self-obsession and self-absorption? came across this prayer, uh, prayed a few hundred years ago, and it's it sort of in a comical way, it sort of captures the uh, self-centered approach people can have to prayer. Here it is. You may have encountered this prayer in, in your reading, as he said, it's sort of a few hundred years back. O Lord, thou knowest that I have nine estates in the city of London, and I have likewise purchased an estate in Essex. I beseech thee to preserve the two counties of Essex and Middlesex from fire and earthquake. And as I have a mortgage in Herefordshire, I, I beg thee likewise to have compassion on that county. And for the rest of the counties, thou mayest deal with them as thou art pleased. <laughs> o Lord, enable the bank to answer their bills and make all my debtors good men. Give a prosperous voyage and return to the mermaid ship, because I have insured it. And as thou hast said that the days of the wicked are but short, I trust in thee that thou wilt not forget thy promise, as I have purchased an estate in reversion, which will be mine on the death of the profligate Sir J. L. Keep my friends from sinking and uh, preserve me from thieves and housebreakers and make all my servants honest and faithful that they may attend to my interests and never cheat me out of my property day or night. Okay. Now, of course, that's a very extreme example, but you know, do we have that sort of underlying attitude? It's all about us, it's all about our needs. Prayer has so many issues related to it and so many questions concerning <coughs> it. And there's so much confusion about it, and there is so much we can learn through it. And I want to really challenge us to, to seek answers to some of those questions, if they are questions which perturb us, to seek answers. But most of all, prayer in its intended sense is the most glorious of all activities. It's a reality that is discovered beyond the frustration. Uh, and the image which came to mind as I preached this sermon is the mark, not that I've ever run a marathon, but what we do know about a marathon is that you hit a wall, don't you? You hit a wall and uh, you put all your energy, all your effort into 
the race, but you reach that point where you think you have nothing left. And the great goal of completing the marathon seems utterly beyond your grasp. But actually, the wall is not the ultimate barrier that seems to be. It's not. <coughs> and real prayer, this wonderful experience of God, of answers to impassioned pleas, of supernatural strengthening for impossible situations, is achievable. Yes, we hit the wall. Yes, our prayers considering they go unanswered. Yes, there may be no positive feelings involved at times. We may find ourselves convinced that we really have hit the end of the road in our experiment with prayer, but I want to challenge us to, to really believe that it is not the end. And those feelings aren't a signal to give up, but to keep pressing on. So, so when you're trying to take prayer more seriously and you just feel like you're getting nowhere, like you've reached the very end of yourself, the challenge of the passage is not to give up, not to give up, but to press on through. Now in your imagination, I want you to visit that scene described in Luke 11, where the disciples begin to talk to Jesus about prayer. What strikes me most about them is they must have hit the wall. Prayer was not working for them. It was not working for them. And they say to Jesus, teach us, Lord, teach us how to pray. Now I bless God for this truth that over and over again, and supremely in, in the life of Jesus, but frankly, not just in the life of Jesus, we have evidence that, that deep and true and real and effective prayer is not an unattainable pipe dream, but an accessible reality. You know, we can't think about the lives of St. Augustine, or Madame Guillaume, or uh, Brother Lawrence, or Praying Hyde. What a name to be given, Praying Hyde. You know, somebody who prayed so much and was known to pray so much that he was given that nickname. Uh, all of those discovered the reality, but many, many ordinary people have discovered the same reality. True, deep, real prayer, true, deep, real encounter with God is absolutely possible. And the challenge is to, is to believe that, to, to seek knowing you will find, to knock knowing the door will be opened to you. Now what I've said so far, <laughs> you'll be worried to hear, is it, is it a preamble? <laughs> Um, apparently, a famous Church of England bishop, when he wasn't a Church of England bishop, took his girlfriend here, Martin Lloyd-Jones, and she came from a, a church where they were used to eight-minute sermons. By the way, I'm not, not promising a long sermon here, just in case you're getting worried, but she sat down beside the doctor to hear Martin Lloyd-Jones, and after 40 minutes, she turned green. She turned green. Because the doctor said, second me. <laughs> <laughs> So what I want to do is to share three, three thoughts with you about how we might overcome the obstacles to prayer and break through the wall. And the uh, first is this, uh, and they're kind of taken from the passage, but not in a, in a deeply expositional way, but they undergird the message of this passage. C.S. Lewis describes true prayer as the real you addressing the real God. Now, the point, of course, there is that God doesn't want you coming into his presence wearing a mask or trying to be what you think he thinks you ought to be. He, he can cope with you warts and all. In fact, he knows you. He knows the full reality of you. And therefore, you can afford to actually be honest and say, you know, this is me. This is who I am. And being the real you is, is telling it like it is. 
And it's imagining, for example, that you're talking to a close friend who's really for you, who really wants your best, and who can cope with, with your worst, but always believing that, that, that you're capable of more. It's coming before God like that, with, with that kind of deep honesty, but knowing he's for you. That's, that's the really important point. And don't stop in your attempts at prayer until you know that it's real communication from you that he's receiving. Learn to take your true self into God's presence. And it might be a it might take a while for the true self to actually show up, but, but stay there and allow the real self to, to communicate. Uh, but it's bringing the, the real you, the real self, before the real God. Jesus, when he teaches them to pray, teaches them God's real name. Of course, in the Bible, persons are, are often revealed, their natures are often revealed by the name they possess. And, and a scholar called G.B. Kerr, who I think was uh, N.T. Wright's great mentor, uh, that means we can trust them, okay? <laughs> <laughs> he said this, um, he says, any Jew could have prayed, Our Father who art in heaven. He said, any Jew could have prayed, Our Father who art in heaven, because there is actually a formal and exclusively religious term, avenue, which, which referenced a, a, a father, but this transcendent, distant, unattainable type of father. And that is not the term that Jesus teaches them to use. You know the term. He teaches them to say Abba. And the really important point, I think, about the term Abba is it was not a liturgical address. It was a term that could only be used uh, by one who was in intimate uh, kinship with that other person. And he's saying that that is what God is like. So when you approach God with, with certain you know, formulations in your mind, the almighty, the omniscient, the, the immutable God, I, I don't want to say that he isn't any of those things because he is. But the term that Jesus taught us to use when we pray is Father. That's the real, that's the real God that we are invited to approach. Uh, and I want to uh, dare you to, to pray as if he really is that Father. And fighting against any instinct that wants to tell you, God, he's more something else. Because that is that is the way Jesus has revealed him here. And, and note too that that Jesus talks about persistence in relation to this God. He's basically saying, keep on pressing, pressing on, because you are going to get through. The only problem, the only problem is when you reach the point where you think, I'm not going to get through, and you give up. No, keep pressing on. So, um, so, so prayer enters a deeper level of reality when the real person that you are addresses God as he really is. But there are two other attributes to real prayer that, that, that also challenge us very fundamentally. I want to talk about those very briefly before I finish. What is the issue of our highest agenda? Is prayer predominantly about us or is it about God? How many have watched the movie Bruce Almighty? Do you, do you have? You'd like to put your hands up. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I've watched it. And of course, Bruce gets to play God on the weekend. And, uh, and during that time, he finds himself inundated with prayers. Prayers which he was hearing verbally, you know, all, all at the one time, which is completely overwhelming. And, and they became emails. 
and almost 100% of the prayers were, were, were intercessory prayers. They were prayers concerning people who, who were asking for, for God's action or prayers of people that they knew, but it was almost 100% intercessory prayer. And um, what you really didn't see was the evidence of prayers which are simply taken up with God. That's my point. It was all about my need, my issues. And yet you read Jesus' prayer here beginning, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. So praise and worship, the honouring of God himself, are the foundation to, to real prayer. Prayers that eventually begin, continue and end in needs are not the most fundamental prayers that, that God is looking for because he, he wants relationship with us and he wants us to be most concerned about him. So our first goal ought to be that God be acknowledged for all he is before we do anything else. And that might sound, seem like a challenge, but you know, one way to, to rise to that challenge is to watch and, and to, to imitate the experts. I remember having the insight that, that what God wants was primarily my worship. And I was wondering, well, well, well how, how do you worship God? How does that extend beyond 40 seconds, you know, in terms of words that you could verbalize? And uh, it was then, in a very real way, I discovered the Psalms. Psalms like Psalm 27, Psalm 40, Psalm 103, Psalm 116. All of these Psalms were written by people who'd begun to master the art of putting God himself at the very top of their prayer agenda. And what I've discovered myself is that their words can be genuinely owned by us because they're not written in an alien language and they're not written of an alien experience. Often we can see our own experience in the Psalms. So, so, so that's so, so that's the uh, the challenge. And um, you know, the second step to real prayer, uh, to breaking through the prayer barrier, is to <coughs> God the prime focus of our prayers. So it's the real you praying to the real God, making that God the chief focus of your prayers. Well, almost at an end, you'd be glad to know. <laughs> Finally, this is the third uh, step in breaking through that wall, and I'll, I'll close the, this sermon with this. It's submitting our wills to God. And in that movie, uh, Bruce Almighty, uh, I, I thought it was a great film myself, but uh, the most amazing part was the prayer prayed by Jim Carney right at the end. And as far as I know, it, it was either directed or, or written by a Christian, so, so there actually was some kind of genuine theological base to, to Bruce Almighty. And what, what happens is uh, the Jim Carney figure has been a rather self-seeking fellow, to say the least, but largely through difficulties and struggles, he finally reaches that point where he submits his will to God and he's ready to accept anything that God wants from him, no matter what. It's the big yes. He will take, accept, go along with any scenario that God should choose for him. He will unreservedly obey. And prayer is, is, is being able to not only uh, verbally affirm that obedience, but to embody it. So, uh, what about our own lives? Are there areas that are simply no-go areas for God? You know, pearl in, not pearl, prayer is the pearl of great price. The benefits, the reality of it, the encounter with God is so much more than anything else we could ever have in life. But are we willing to submit?
And maybe part of the wall that we struggle to break through is the knowledge that certain things God has asked of us, we're simply not willing to give. Maybe that's part of the wall. There are things in us that we're simply not willing to give, that we're not willing to submit. Um, so, so my question at the very end is, what would, what would stop unqualified obedience right now in your life? Why would you not be able to say, your will be done, your kingdom come? And I, I close with a prayer, uh, which I want to present as a goal for our own relationship with God. It's a, it, it's a prayer that was prayed back in, in the 16th century. And it's one of the most wonderful prayers of submission. It goes like this. Dearest Lord, teach me to be generous. Teach me to serve you as you deserve. To give and not to count the cost. To fight and not to heed the wounds. To labour and not to seek to rest. To give of myself and ask and not to ask for reward. Accept the reward of knowing that I'm doing your will.